Disney episode 11, The Menu. Welcome to another episode of Disney, a podcast for Disney fans. I am, as always, your host, Christopher, and today I am doing something a little bit different in this episode. Uh, the movie that I'm covering today is The Menu from 2022, just last year. In fact, this movie is not even a year old yet. Uh, and you might be wondering, this is a Disney podcast. Why are you covering a horror slash thriller movie from last year that Disney didn't even put out. What does this have to do with this podcast? Well, here's the thing. If you go back and listen to my introductory episode, episode zero, uh, I talk in that episode about why it is that I decided upon a Disney podcast. And one of the reasons that I talked about is that I am honestly just a pop culture nerd in general. Like, I have, obviously, my favorite genres and my favorite types of movies, and if I had to boil that down to two, I would say that my two favorites are probably Disney, which I know is more of a company than a genre, but I think you know what I mean by Disney. Another one of my favorite genres, however, is horror. I have loved horror movies and horror stories since I was very young, and uh, you know, in fact, here's just a interesting little trivial piece of information about me. When I was a kid, my favorite movie, and it still is, if I had to pick one movie that is my number one favorite of all time, is Batman Returns, which is not a horror movie, but it is definitely dark and has some horror elements to it. And I was terrified of Danny DeVito's Penguin as a kid. I found him just absolutely horrifying and unsettling. And yet, that was still my favorite movie, and I watched it frequently. So even as a kid, I clearly took some sort of comfort out of things that made me feel a little bit disturbed and scared even. So I do also love Star Wars, and I love Marvel. And, you know, I'm just, like I said, kind of a pop culture nerd in general. And so when I was throwing some ideas out there about what I could do a podcast on, I knew that I wanted it to be a pop culture podcast. But there are a couple of reasons why I decided on doing a Disney podcast. And one of the reasons that I outlined in that introductory episode is that at this point, uh, Disney has acquired the rights to so many things that it does allow this to a certain extent to be a pop culture podcast while still having a niche. You know, it's not just a free-for-all, pop culture podcast, I can talk about anything that I want. No, there are still some rules in place and some limitations, but they're relatively limited <laughs> limitations because of everything that Disney now owns. So, you know, that's kind of why I structured the podcast the way that I did, uh, titled it what I did. Yeah, and the menu is, technically speaking, a Disney movie because it was put out by Searchlight Pictures, which is now owned by Disney. So that is why I'm covering this. And this will not be the last time 
that I cover a movie on this podcast that initially might have you scratching your head wondering why I'm doing this on a Disney podcast. So I first saw this movie, I want to say maybe two months ago. It was like two or three months ago. I think it was in the spring, like March or April and uh, of 2023, of course. And I watched it for a couple of reasons. One was that, well, I think there were probably three reasons. One was that, uh, as I said, I do really like horror. And I was seeing this kind of classified as like a horror-esque thriller. So that intrigued me. But also... Uh, Nicholas Holt is in it, and I love Nicholas Holt. I think that, um, I mean, for one thing, I'm just going to be brutally honest here. He's wildly attractive, but it's not just that. Um, you know, I've also just really loved a lot of his roles, um, a lot of the characters that he's played. And so I watched it for him. But also, the third reason here is that if you heard my episode on Tangled, which was episode nine, then you may recall that I mentioned a podcast called The Villain Was Right. And their whole thing is they look at movies and shows from the villain's perspective and dare to ask, were they really all that bad? And I brought the podcast up in my Tangled episode because they did an episode on Tangled. And they also did an episode on The Menu. So before listening to that episode of the podcast, which I knew I wanted to listen to because I kind of was interested in the movie anyway... I went and listened to the, or sorry, I went and watched the movie before listening to that podcast episode. So there were several reasons why I watched this. And when I realized that it was a Searchlight movie, I was like, well, it's also something that I can talk about on the Disney podcast then. So uh, yeah, that's why I'm covering the menu. And uh, before I do start my discussion of the menu, though, I do want to let you know that a lot of the movies that I've covered on this podcast so far, which makes sense because it is a Disney podcast, a lot of the movies that I've covered on this podcast so far are family-friendly movies, movies that you can watch with your young kids, right? This is not one of those movies. This is an R-rated movie. There is some pretty uh, grisly violence in it. There is a little bit of gore, and uh, it deals with some mature themes, so... You know, the reason I bring this up is that if you've been listening to the podcast up to this point with a young one, I wouldn't recommend listening to this one with a young one because I will be discussing the plot in detail. So some of that aforementioned violence and gore and uh, mature themes will definitely come up in discussion. So again, talking about an R-rated movie here, so... I just personally wouldn't listen to this episode with a young one. If you've been listening to the podcast with kids, this is not the episode to listen to with them. So I just wanted to offer that disclaimer. So general info about the menu. It premiered on September 10th, 2022. So like I said, this is still a relatively new movie. It hasn't even been out for a year yet. In fact, that was the premiere date. I believe that it got a more widespread release in November of last year. It was written by Will Tracy and Seth Reese. It might be Seth rice uh i'm not sure it's r-e-i-s-s -S. my guess is reese but i could be wrong and directed by mark mylod and we have a really really great stellar cast here some really great performances by some very talented people we have ray fines playing chef slowick nicholas holt i already mentioned him uh as tyler ledford anya taylor joy as margo hong shao as elsa 
Janet McTeer as Lillian, Reed Burney as Richard, Judith Light as Anne, and John Leguizamo as movie star. <laughs> uh, I will definitely be talking about that in this episode about, uh, you know, how he's just credited as movie star and why that's brilliant. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then we have music by Colin Stetson. The basic plot synopsis of the menu is that a young couple travels to a remote island to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. Uh, you know, so basically, I mean, I'm going to obviously discuss the plot in more detail, but there are a lot of plot twists. There are a lot of things that the first time I saw this movie, I didn't see coming. And that definitely is something that it has going for it. Because there's definitely a lot more to it than <laughs> what I just said. It's a lot more complicated than that. But uh, like I said, I will be getting into that. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely recommend um, watching whatever movie it is that I'm covering, watching it first if you care to see it. Because these are not spoiler-free discussions. So some trivia here uh, about the movie. I'm pulling all of these this time from IMDb. So I will put that in the show notes, the link for that, if you want to check out the rest of them. Screenwriter Will Tracy came up with the idea of the story while on his honeymoon in Norway when he took a boat to a fancy restaurant on a nearby private island and realized that he was trapped on the island until the meal was done. The cast also spent a week in intensive rehearsals before filming began. COVID protocols meant that they effectively formed a tight bubble that ended up playing well on screen. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a movie that in a lot of ways is about... Uh, isolation, imprisonment in a sense. Much of Margot's and Tyler's early conversations take on an entirely different light when it is revealed that they are not a couple. Uh, from Margot cheerfully commenting that Tyler is paying to Tyler lamenting that he hadn't spent time with women like Margot before, the dialogue is peppered with double meanings and foreshadowing. Definitely makes it a movie that's probably worth re-watching and I might do that someday, but uh yeah, there are definitely some clues that uh, the first time you watch the movie, you might not pick up on. And as I said, uh, I just think that it's because of something that happens in the movie and uh, one of the themes of the movie. I just think that it's brilliant that uh, John Leguizamo's character is not credited with an actual name. He's just credited as movie star. But here's what's interesting. The character is apparently officially named George Diaz, but... I'm not sure if that, because I don't remember that ever being stated anywhere in the movie. Maybe it was and I missed it, but I don't recall that. So my thought is that if it's not stated directly in the movie, then that was probably in the script or something. But apparently, yeah, that's his official name. Uh, but as I said, he is credited as movie star, which I think is just brilliant because the whole thing about him is that he's washed up right? He doesn't have the notoriety that he used to. And in fact, uh, Leguizamo based the character because there was uh, a little bit of uh, opportunity in this movie for actors to improvise and bring their own little interpretations to the characters. And yeah, he based his character on a washed up action star, Steven Seagal. And he did not like Steven Seagal. He called him a, quote, horrible human uh, due to a very bad experience that he had while working with him on the 1996 movie Executive Decision. At the end of the movie, before Margot gets out of there, 
uh, she asks for a cheeseburger and Chef Slowick makes it for her and seems to be legitimately moved by how much she actually does love it. Uh, and I'll, of course, talk a little bit more about that when I get to it. But the burger that was eaten by Anya Taylor-Joy was real. But a lot of the other food that's seen throughout the movie is not. They're props. But this particular cheeseburger was real. Uh, and apparently, because all of the food was not real, that it was props, everyone was so hungry <laughs> watching Anya Taylor-Joy eating that cheeseburger by that point that uh, John Leguizamo ordered burgers and fries for the entire cast. So uh, that's really cool. <laughs> uh, very, uh, you know, be, be more like John Leguizamo, be a nice human being. That's a very nice thing to do. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. And then last but not least, out of the, uh, the facts that I pulled for you, the script apparently features an alternate ending where a crew of firefighters and investigators walk through the burnt wreckage of the night and behind a sealed fireproof door, find Slowick's smiling severed head on a platter and his severed hands holding up the menu. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I honestly would have really liked it if it had ended that way. <laughs> uh, I'll talk more about the ending when I get to it, but um, as I've already mentioned, I do really enjoy horror, and I feel like that would have been a more horror-esque ending, so I kind of wish that they'd gone with that, but and I don't know if that was ever actually filmed, and maybe it's like a alternate ending or deleted scene on the DVD and Blu-ray. I don't know, but I just know that apparently it was originally in the script. So moving on to observations about the movie, uh, it starts off with Margot smoking, and Tyler doesn't approve. Uh, he warns her that smoking will kill her taste buds, and right away we get hints that Tyler seems to really care a lot about food. He's very passionate about food and the way that certain things taste. He seems very uh, pretentious might be the right word. I mean, it's one of those things that after you see the whole movie and you see how it ends and everything, looking back on this puts it in a different context. But he seems very, very, very passionate about food and uh, a foodie. You know, and he really looks up to Chef Slowick. This opportunity to have this exclusive meal at Chef Slowick's restaurant is life-changing for him. It seems to be something very, very, very important to him. Whereas it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal to Margot. And uh, I also really do love that it shows us right away that she's doing something that he doesn't approve of. Because it tells us right from the get-go that there's a conflict between them. And this conflict is probably going to carry the movie. And it kind of does. And another thing that I find really cool is that uh, Margot right away does not look like she's on board with this. She doesn't really want to do this. And very shortly after we see that it's very obvious that she's not on board with this, doesn't want to do it, the next shot is the boatman calling all aboard for Hawthorne. So, you know, it's kind of funny because it's like, okay, this is the threshold. Like, this is the, you know, once you're past this point, there's no returning, right? So she's not on board with this, and yet she gets literally on board <laughs> because this is like a remote island that can only be accessed by boat. And another line that just at first seems like, okay, there might be a little bit of foreshadowing being planted here, but 
it's also put in a different context after you've seen the whole movie is that he he as in Tyler says, well, it's official. Tonight will be madness. So this is definitely foreshadowing because, yes, it is definitely madness that takes place at the restaurant. But also it's foreshadowing a plot twist, which uh, I'll get to when I get to it. I don't want to talk about it just yet. But um, yeah, so there are some really, really great lines in this movie that operate in a really cool way, both as you're watching it and then also as you're reflecting on it after you've seen the movie. So I had a feeling pretty early on that Margot isn't who was originally supposed to go with Tyler on this date. And sure enough, that is the first of many reveals in this movie. I also had a feeling pretty early on, because mind you, like watching this movie for this podcast was my first time watching it. So I went into this pretty blindly, not really knowing much of anything about its premise, its plot. All I really knew about it was, as I said, that, you know, it had Nicholas Holt. I knew, you know, several of the cast members that were in it, such as Nicholas Holt, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ray Fiennes, but I really knew nothing about the plot other than that it was apparently kind of like a horror thriller. But I definitely had a feeling very, very early on that this was some sort of cult, that uh, something terrible was going to go down, you know? Uh, ideas that I had were maybe this is a cannibalistic cult and they're going to end up feeding the people people, <laughs> you know, that we're getting all Sweeney Todd up in this restaurant. That was one thought that I had. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Elsa says to Margot, we'll try to make your evening as pleasant as possible. And the way that she says it just seems really, really menacing. And that's when we learn, it's in that scene that we learn that Margot is not who was originally supposed to go on this date. Because Elsa seems surprised that Margot's there instead of somebody else. And that's why she says that line. And that's also kind of a tipping point, or not a tipping point, but something that clues you in that, yeah, something terrible is going to happen here and that this might be some sort of cult. It turns out that it's not really a cannibalistic cult, <laughs> at least not that we know of, but it is definitely a cult. It's very much a cult. So there's a scene where Elsa is kind of giving everybody a tour of the grounds, sort of, and... Uh, Tyler asks about Chef Slowick's cottage, and Elsa says, even we are not allowed inside Chef's cottage. So I thought, okay, this is definitely foreshadowing. I thought for sure that Tyler was going to end up inside that cottage, uh, because that's basically the West Wing from Beauty and the Beast, right? That uh, you can go anywhere in the castle that you wish, but not the West Wing, because that's forbidden, right? So... It's like whenever a movie or a show plants that little seed that, oh, this is forbidden, you can't go there, it's not allowed, you know that that's exactly where they're going to end up because the greatest prohibition is also the greatest temptation, right? So I knew that there was going to end up being some sort of showdown in that cottage, and I was right about that, but I was wrong about who was going to be involved in it. And then a little bit later, Tyler confronts one of the cooks and uh, kind of tries to uh, show off his knowledge, you know, show off his his foodie uh, knowledge. And um, the cook says, you really know your stuff, Mr. Ledford. And Tyler's like, you know my name? 
And the cook replies, oh, we like to know everyone who dines with us. <laughs> Not creepy at all. Like that totally resolved any fears that I might have had that this might be a cult. Like, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> no, for real, it totally is, especially with how he says it. He says it in a very foreboding, creepy manner. I also, pretty early on, got this sense that uh, Chef Slowick is basically like Darth Vader. Bad things happen when you disappoint him. You do not want to disappoint Chef. And there are just little clues peppered throughout that... This is a man who rules his kitchen with an iron fist, and you do not disappoint him or double-cross him in any way. He rules with fear, which is very much like Darth Vader and how he rules. So I kind of, he kind of reminded me of Darth Vader in some ways. It isn't long before uh, things start to get weird and unusual, like... The chef does some weird things, like, I put weird in quotes, but uh, he does some unconventional things, I think that's a better word, uh, like, put out a bread dish with, like, uh, embellishments, like, I'm trying to think of the right word, like, sauces, things like that, that you would dip the bread in, or spread on the bread, um, but it's only the sauces, he doesn't give them any bread, and... You know, there are people who complain and say, where's our bread? We want bread. And, you know, as these unconventional, uh, like, stages, um, courses of the meal are being presented and people are finding it very weird, the chef and Elsa are basically uh, reassuring everybody that it's all part of the menu. It's all part of the experience. Just trust what the chef is doing. And I honestly thought for sure that where this is going to end up going is that the people who have attended this meal are basically going to end up being forced to eat animals live, like live animals, or even people. I don't know if the people would be live or if, uh, you know, it would basically be like a Sweeney Todd sort of situation, but that's kind of where I thought it was going. I mentioned the uh, the cannibalistic thing already, and I had a suspicion that that's where it was going. That's not where it went. But I really did think that, especially because uh, Margot gets to a point where she's protesting what's happening. She's arguing with Tyler over this. You know, Tyler is very much of the mindset that, you know, he is a genius. He is like God with what he does. You know, the creations that he makes trust what he's doing. But yeah, I mean, Margot responds like, you're paying him to serve you. And I remember thinking that like, is that like an intentional pun? An interesting choice of words used very intentionally because the chef is going to end up serving Tyler, you know, in more ways than one. Like he will serve him food, but he will also end up serving him as food. <laughs> These were the thoughts that were going through my mind you know, when I watched this and, um, it did not go in that direction, but, um, that was what I was thinking. I was also thinking like Margot, because I think probably everybody watching the movie the first time thought this, that Margot and Tyler were an item, that they were a couple. We end up finding out that that is not the case. But my thought at the time watching this was that this is a new girlfriend. It seems like this is only the first or second date. And he's taking her to this restaurant as their date because he's a foodie. 
and really looks up to this chef and admires him. And I just remember thinking, get out of that relationship immediately, Margot. This is bad news. This guy is toxic. And we basically end up finding out that that is very much the case. Uh, in fact, we end up finding out that he's much worse than I thought he was. He's kind of uh, a villain in this movie in a way. Um, you know, I think we're meant to see like Chef Slowick as the main villain. But that's one of the interesting things about this movie is that it kind of starts off by framing Tyler as the main protagonist. And it kind of ends up being Margot that's the main protagonist. So that's kind of an interesting uh you know, like spin, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I was just like, get out of there, get out of there. This guy, I mean, Nicholas Holt is fine. I'm telling you, I, I, like I said, he's one of the reasons why I watched this movie because I think he's like ridiculously attractive, but I don't care how fine you are. You treat me like he treats Margot, and we're done. We're not playing that game. He's just absolutely awful to her. So, yeah, I just remember thinking, like, get out of that, girl. Get out of there. Uh, and Elsa, she seems to be looking around. Uh, you know, she's paying close attention to everybody there that's eating. She seems to be, like, listening for bad reviews, looking for rules being broken. And we do end up finding out that that is exactly what she's doing. Because when she hears, uh, you know, somebody, like making a bad remark, like a negative remark about something that's presented, she makes note of that. Uh, she makes note of people breaking rules, and she does end up either handling that herself and or telling Chef Slowick about it, because we see certain situations, like for example, they are told at the beginning of the meal, before anything is even served, if I remember correctly, that they are not allowed to take photos of any of the dishes. That's against the rules. They cannot take, well, cannot, they are not allowed to uh, take photos of anything that's served to them. And Tyler does. He takes a photo of a dish. And um, later on, they make it a point to show him that they know he did that. <laughs> you know, and uh, there is one of the, uh, the attendees is a restaurant critic. She writes reviews of restaurants and she makes a complaint about one of the dishes that is served. And so Elsa keeps serving her that same dish over and over again, you know? So they kind of find like these little petty ways to show that, yeah, we're listening. We know what you said. We know what you did. We're watching. <laughs> and not too long after that, we get a scene in which uh, Chef Slowick introduces everyone to his mother. And she seems very out of it. Uh, like kind of delirious even like just I don't know if that's the right word but just not completely aware of her surroundings she's kind of like not responsive and he says as you can see she's rather drunk and I remember thinking like no she doesn't look drunk to me she looks drugged I feel like you have drugged her with something <laughs> so just like a lot of little things in this movie happening that kind of had me Wondering what's going to happen, what is going to be revealed, what is going on here. You know, there are all these little things that that leave like this, uh, this trail of breadcrumbs that leave you wondering where is this going. And like I said, I had thoughts that they might be some sort of cannibalistic cult, which they were not. Uh, but there are definitely reasons to think that. 
one of the courses, if you will, I put courses in quotation marks, uh, <laughs> but one of the courses is that the chef basically just tells a very disturbing story from his childhood. And the movie star goes on to say that he liked the story. And he says, it's a backstory to what makes him a chef artist. And I found that kind of weird because that seems a bit out of character. Like prior to that, he didn't seem to care about any of that kind of stuff. It was Tyler who seemed to care about that, who seemed to appreciate the nuances of what Chef Slowick was doing. All of a sudden, the movie star seems to appreciate it. So I found that a little bit odd. That seemed very suddenly out of character. And then there is a group of, uh, I would say, middle-aged men, like men that are maybe 40-ish. And, uh, you know, one of the things that this movie does really well is that it's a horror thriller, but it's also a comedy. There were definitely several scenes throughout this movie that had me laughing. And one of the ways that it's a comedy is that it is very much like satire on like the rich versus the poor and social standing and class and all that stuff. And this group of, like I said, 40-ish year old men are very toxic. I mean, we get that right from the get-go that, you know, these are basically your stereotypical men who uh, don't really appreciate their wives, you know, and we end up finding out that they've done something illegal, which is very likely something that has impacted Chef Slowick. And so after that point, it doesn't take too long to start putting pieces together and realizing that whatever is happening here is some sort of revenge scheme. It's some sort of punishment. That's why Elsa was so taken aback by it being Margot there, because everyone who was supposed to be there was very clearly, meticulously planned and had a reason for being there. And we do end up finding out that that is pretty much exactly what's happening here. Uh, so these men... Uh, they threaten Elsa because uh, Elsa reveals to them that she knows about, you know, whatever it was. I didn't really completely understand what it was that they did that was illegal. It had something to do with money, uh, but it was something that definitely impacted Chef Slowick. And they threaten Elsa, telling her that, you know, we're going to have this place closed by morning. And she says... Oh, no, that won't be necessary. And I really have to tip my hat to uh, Elsa's performance in this movie. Hong Xiao, if I'm saying that correctly. She just does such a wonderful job in this role. She's so funny. She's unnerving. She's kind of creepy. And just the way that she says this, I mean, you know, even if you haven't seen the ending of the movie and you're watching it for the first time like I was, you know what that means. That, you know, basically what she's saying there is... That literally won't be necessary because you're going to be dead by morning. <laughs> I mean, it's just very, very clear that that's what she's saying. Uh, so we get a more proper introduction to Jeremy. This is the sous chef, the cook, who was talking to Tyler earlier in the movie and said something to the effect of, you know, we make it a point to know everyone who dines with us. Uh, so he's kind of the star, if you will of one of the courses that Chef Slowick calls The Mess. I was really, really on edge throughout this entire scene. I was so tense. This is such an intense scene. Uh, I kept expecting 
the chef to like stab him or something. Uh, because basically this is how Chef Slowick introduces this quote course. Ladies and gentlemen, please meet sous chef Jeremy Loudon. Jeremy created the next dish. It's called the mess. Originally from Sparks, Nevada, Jeremy studied at the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park. Jeremy's goal, as he wrote in a heartfelt letter, was to work for me here at Hawthorne. Jeremy is talented. He's good. He's very good. But he's not great. He'll never be great. He desperately wants my prestige, my job, my talent. He aspires to greatness, but he'll never achieve it. Like me at his age, Jeremy has forsaken everything to achieve his goals. Like mine, his life is pressure. Pressure to put out the best food in the world. And even when all goes right and the food is perfect, and the customers are happy, and the critics are too, there is no way to avoid the mess. The mess you make of your life, of your body, of your sanity, by giving everything you have to pleasing people you will never know. He then asks Jeremy, Do you want my life? Not my position, nor my talent. My life. Jeremy says no, and Chef Slowick then says, Ladies and gentlemen, your fourth course. Sous Chef Jeremy's The Mess. And I was not expecting what happened. Uh, like I said, I kept expecting that uh, the chef was going to attack and or kill Jeremy. Because the way that he says all of this, you know, what I just recited to you, is very tense. And, you know, he's very, like, physically close to Jeremy. And I just kept thinking there was going to be some sort of attack. And after he, you know, closes that speech up and says, like, you know, here's your fourth course, Jeremy just suddenly pulls a gun out and shoots himself. And I was not expecting that. And honestly... He seemed kind of brainwashed to me, and he might have been because, you know, this is very much like what Chef Slowick is doing here is very much a cult. It's not, like I said, a cannibalistic cult, but it is a cult. And uh, so he might have been brainwashed somehow, but he did seem very brainwashed, which reminded me a lot of the horror movie Get Out. Uh, but like I said, just very, very well shot scene because it's tense. It's shocking. I did not expect that. Uh, I expected some sort of violence, but I wasn't expecting it when it happened. And I wasn't expecting it to happen in the way that it did. For him to kill himself, I wasn't expecting. But Tyler seems so nonchalant about it, which is kind of funny because, like I said, there's a lot of like dark comedy, dark humor in this movie. And everybody else is like, panicking, freaking out, screaming, as you would. I mean, that's a completely reasonable reaction to a man shooting himself in the head in front of you suddenly. But Tyler's just like non, like completely nonchalant, not phased by it at all. He's just like, that was a shock. Didn't see that coming. And the reason that it's so funny, the reason that it hits so hard is that he is absolutely right. He's speaking for the audience there right? That he's absolutely right, that that was a huge shock. But he's saying it as if he wasn't shocked, right? That he saw it coming, even though he says didn't see that coming. He's acting like he did. He's completely nonchalant and, and just very not phased about it. And that, of course, is a clue regarding an eventual twist that comes later in the movie. Uh, and he's just eating, savoring the dish. And then... 
a man gets a finger chopped off and he's still just sitting there eating, savoring the food, not seeming to mind that a man is getting a finger cut off. And I kind of feel like there's humor here in another way too, that Tyler is kind of meant to be us in a way because he just said like, that was a shock. Didn't see that coming. And again, that's how most of us watching the movie probably felt. Uh, but we also probably just continued watching the movie and were shocked, but the shock probably faded after a few seconds. And we just kind of, you know, continued watching the movie, eating it up, savoring it, despite the violence, despite the shocks and the violence, we just continued watching it. So I feel like Tyler in some ways is kind of meant to be us. And uh, shortly after that, not too long after that, we get another plot twist, another reveal, which is that Margot's actual name is Aaron, and she is not Tyler's girlfriend. This is not technically a date. She is an escort, and Tyler has hired her to go to this event with him. Here's the thing, though. Yet another plot twist coming soon after that. Tyler knew that everyone was going to die. He knew what he was getting himself into. And he brought Margot knowing that this innocent young woman was going to be slaughtered, that she was going to die. That's why he paid her to bring her to this because his girlfriend broke up with him and he had reserved two tickets for this or two, whatever, you know, uh, two reservations, I guess, for this experience. And so he needed to bring somebody else. He hired this escort to go with him, knowing that she was going to die, but obviously not being honest with her about it. Because, of course, if you're honest with her, then she's not going to go. So like I said, Tyler is terrible. He's awful. He's even worse than I initially thought he was. At first, I thought he was just like this snob, this pretentious prick who looks down on people who don't respect food the way that he does. And he is still very much that, but he's also so much worse. I mean, in a way, he attempted murder, right? He, I mean, he wasn't going to kill Margot himself, but you are kind of a murderer if you deceptively bring someone to something where they're going to die and you know that they're going to die. That kind of makes you a murderer, in my opinion. Eventually, Chef Slowick confronts Tyler about the fact that he brought somebody other than he was supposed to to this event and calls him out on it and reveals right in front of Margot that he knew that Tyler knew he was going to die, that that's how this event was always going to end. He went to this event knowing that it's Chef Slowick that reveals that. And he has this idea where uh, because Tyler's such a foodie and, you know, looks up to Chef Slowick and respects him, he has this idea that he's going to have Tyler make a course. And Tyler asks for shallots, and the chef says, shallots for the great foodie, the phenomenal Mr. Food himself. This is a new dicing method of which we have been woefully ignorant. And I immediately, I mean, I didn't miss a beat. I immediately recognized that Chef Slowick is being sarcastic and he's mocking him, you know, that this is not sincere. He doesn't actually think that Tyler is... Uh, who he says he is, that he's a bit of a charlatan. He's not the foodie that he claims to be because he's not making anything that's really worthwhile. 
according to Chef Slowick, right? I mean, and you can tell by the way he's saying this that he's mocking him and being sarcastic. And sure enough, that is exactly what is revealed because, uh, you know, he tries it. He tries the food that Tyler makes and says that it's absolutely awful. And that's when he basically reveals that, you know, you claim to be a great foodie, but you don't actually know what you're talking about, do you? Like, you can't do anything in the kitchen. And I really do think that this is social commentary on, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it becomes bad when it becomes toxic, like it does with Tyler. Like, he becomes a very toxic person. You know, like I said, kind of talking down to people who don't seem to have the knowledge that he does, don't have the appreciation that he does. You know, he's very uh, kind of self-absorbed and pretentious, and that's when it becomes a problem. So I think that this is like social commentary on people who claim to be experts in things that they're not actually experts in. But I have to say, this is another scene that really had me tense and nervous. Like, I was very, very anxious as Tyler was cooking because Tyler was nervous. You could see that. He knew he was being tested, I think. And, um, you know... I was not expecting Tyler to die. I was expecting something bad to happen. But first of all, once again, I figured that if anything bad was going to happen to him, it was going to be Chef Slowick who did it. I wasn't expecting Tyler to do anything to himself. But like Jeremy, that's exactly what happens. And uh, the chef whispers something in Tyler's ear, basically after saying to him that you're never going to amount to anything, you know. And he whispers something in his ear. And we don't get to hear what it is. We don't get to see what it is that he, uh, well, we do get to see. We don't get to hear it because we do eventually see that Tyler has hanged himself with his tie. And uh, the chef told him to do that. All he had to do was just whisper in his ear, you know, go in another room and hang yourself. And he did. And that is kind of scary because it goes to show, like I said before, how much power Chef Slowick really does have. And how he has created this cult because he has the charisma, you know, people listen to him just like Jeremy shot himself because most likely the chef told him to, he told him this is part of the menu tonight. This is part of the experience. You're going to have to kill yourself. And Jeremy did it because he's that devoted to him. You know, the chef is not just a chef. He's also very much a cult leader. We also find out why it is that chef Slowick is punishing the movie star and uh, this is really funny. Like I said before, this has to do with the movie star being credited as such. Like, it's kind of meta, if that's the right term, that he's credited as movie star because he is kind of this washed up actor who doesn't really have the uh, the notoriety, the popularity that he used to. He's not really booking good roles anymore. And Chef Slowick reveals that, you know, there was this one time that I had a day off, and that never happens, right? I never get time off. But this one time, I took a day off. I had a day free, and I decided to use that day to go to the movies. And I can't remember the name of the movie. It was like Calling Dr. Sunshine or something like that. But he says that, you know, I went to see such and such movie that you were in, and it was terrible. My one day off... I had one day off, and I wasted that day going to see a terrible movie. And he blames <laughs> the movie star for this. Uh, you know, and it's it's the movie star does make a good point. He says, like, well, I was just acting. 
Like, I didn't write the movie. I didn't direct the movie. It wasn't my movie. I just had a role in it. And I think that one of the themes of this movie is people being charlatans, people claiming to be more than they are, you know, pretending to be experts or artists in things that they aren't actually. And Chef Slowick seems to take great offense to this because he has devoted his entire life to this. It kind of reminds me a little bit of how in Ratatouille you've got like Chef Gusto and then you also have Anton Ego. And Anton Ego is very much like Chef Slowick in a way where he believes that, you know, I am a master at this. I've devoted my entire life to this. I cook with extreme precision. It's an art. Um, and, uh, you know, Chef Slowick is kind of similar. You know, there's that line in Ratatouille where uh, Anton Ego is criticizing the book that Chef Gusteau published called Anyone Can Cook and says, you know, it is my belief that no, not everybody can cook. And so, again, Anton Ego is kind of very much Chef Slowick in this movie. He seems to be very offended by people who don't have the artistry that they claim to. He also seems to be very offended by people who have seemingly gotten through life uh, very easily with no struggle, that they've been privileged. That comes through when the woman uh, who the movie star brought with him, uh, I think her name is Felicity, uh, they seem to kind of sort of have like a romantic sexual thing going on, but I don't know, it's weird. Like she wants to... uh, get away from him like she wants to stop working for him because it seems like she works underneath him she's some sort of like I don't even know what you would call it like personal assistant or something like that and she wants to get away but you know he's like basically trying to convince her that no that's just talk you're never gonna leave me you know and uh yeah but anyway chef Slowick asks Felicity where did you go to school and she says brown and then he asks student loans and she says no And she hesitates. Like, you can tell that there's a part of her who wants to lie and say yes because she knows where this is going. But she hesitates and admits no. And Chef Slowick then says, I'm sorry, you're dying. (laughs) And it is a kind of funny, it's kind of a funny scene because, uh, you know, that's basically what he's saying is that, you know, most people don't get to do that. They don't get to go to a prestigious school like Brown and be able to pay for it. The fact that she didn't take loans out meant that she was loaded. She was rich. She was able to pay herself through school. And Chef Slowick seems to be also offended by that. You know, this movie, to me, in part, you know, I think that there's commentary here about artistry and that sort of thing. But there's also commentary on the rich being responsible. Like, and I mean the really rich, you know, the super rich. Like, the rich being responsible for some of the world's problems, you know, like the whole theme of this movie is punishing the rich. It's one of the themes anyway. And then there's another really, really tense and anxious scene when a rescue team shows up because Margot believes that she's contacted somebody to help them. And so a team shows up, Uh, but it's just one man that comes in. And I immediately thought that that was weird. Like if you get a distress call from somebody believing that there might be a large number of people in danger, you don't just send one person in. You send a whole backup team. So I immediately thought that that was weird. I was like, okay, at the very least, you go in there to see what's going on, and then when you realize what the situation might be, you leave and you come back with backup. But he doesn't, because he is slipped a note, and the note says, help us. He's trying to kill us, something to that effect. And 
he immediately just kind of like turns around and pulls his gun out. And it's like, that's not what you do. If you are fearful that <laughs> there might be people here who are dangerous, then you leave and bring backup or call for backup or something. Like you don't try to deal with this problem by yourself. So I immediately thought that that was weird. And sure enough, we soon after find out exactly why he didn't leave and come back with backup because he's part of it too. He is no rescue person. He's involved. This was all, you know, an elaborate play. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then we do end up getting that showdown in uh, Chef Slowick's house that I mentioned earlier. But my expectation was that it was going to be some sort of confrontation between uh, Tyler and the chef. Because like I said, I was under the impression that Tyler was our main protagonist. Uh, but... That's not who that confrontation is between. It ends up being between Margot and Elsa. And Margot does essentially uh, kill Elsa, kind of in self-defense. And when she goes back to the restaurant, she orders a cheeseburger. And I was thinking, okay, we're coming pretty close to the end of this movie now. There isn't that much left. What is she up to? She orders a cheeseburger. And... I will say that there is kind of like a cool theme here where, you know, she encourages him to make something with love, you know, like she, because she sees this photo of him smiling. He was making cheeseburgers in this photo. Uh, he was smiling, seemingly happy while he was cooking. And she decides to use that to her advantage and ask for a cheeseburger. She makes the argument that, you know, you make things with precision, you make things with artistry with finesse with expertise but you don't make anything with love and so she asks for a cheeseburger and again I was really wondering like where is she going with this I still don't completely understand what happened uh she takes a bite out of the cheeseburger then says uh you know turns out my appetite was bigger than my or my eyes were bigger than my appetite my eyes were bigger than my stomach right uh I don't think I can eat all of this so can I take the rest to go? And he lets her go. I'm not really sure how she finagled that. Like, because earlier in the movie, he gave her a choice. He said, you know, you don't really belong here. You're not who was supposed to be here. So I'm going to give you a choice. You can either join me and be a part of the, the team in the kitchen, or you can continue being a, uh, you know, a, uh, an attendee, but you're going to die either way. But somehow... She gets him to change his mind about that, and he lets her go. I guess maybe because he realized at that point that she was, uh, her heart was in the right place, right? That she was reminding him of how he used to cook with love, how he used to uh, really put emotion into what he was doing, not just finesse and expertise. And that softened him a little bit, and he realized she has no business being here. She doesn't deserve to die. She doesn't need to be here. I'm guessing that's what it is, but I didn't really feel like that was made clear enough. I was kind of confused about that. So she ends up getting a, uh, like a boat. She gets on a boat to go and, you know, continues eating the cheeseburger while she's sitting on the boat and uses, this is a nice touch, uses the chef's menu as a napkin. <laughs> uh, it's a very nice touch because, you know, Basically, uh, it just kind of goes to show, like, who Margot is at her heart. Like, she is passionate about food. She does care about food. 
um, you know, just encouraging him, like being inspired by this photo that she saw of him happy in the kitchen making cheeseburgers. That might not have been at a very expensive restaurant where he was making these very unique uh, tailored niche dishes, but he was happy because he was cooking with love and happiness. And uh, that's who Margot is at her core. She's passionate, but she's not passionate in a arrogant way like Tyler was. But she watches as the place basically goes up in flames because the final course is basically for everybody to be s'mores. Like basically the floor is covered in graham crackers, uh, you know, things like that. And the guests wear a uh, sort of like a cowl made of marshmallows and they have hats that are made out of chocolate and the place is burned up, right? They set fire to it, and everybody obviously burns up, becomes s'mores. <laughs> um, and I just found this to be very strange, because all of a sudden, they don't seem scared anymore. You know, like, the people don't seem scared. They seem willing to accept what is happening peacefully. And I was just like, how did that happen? How did these people go from panic, oh my god, he's going to kill us, to you know what? I can accept this. This is what needs to happen. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> I found that to be a little uh, unrealistic. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie. So there's a whole lot more that I could have talked about. But uh, that's the menu. Um, if you enjoy uh, kind of smart, you know, very uh, intelligently written scripts and you enjoy being on the edge of your seat, tense and nervous and anxious while watching a movie, wondering what's going to happen. Uh, you'll love this. You will love the menu. Um, I definitely, and like I said, it's got some social commentary. It's got some dark humor. So definitely I, I recommend watching this if that's the kind of thing that you're looking for. Um, I will say that for me, it was a fun experience. Like, I'm glad I watched this. As somebody who enjoys horror movies, um, you know, this was one that I don't regret watching. Uh, there are a lot of surprising, unexpected turns that I did not see coming. Like I said, really great use of tension. But I did just kind of feel like the ending was a bit anticlimactic to me. And uh, like I said, I didn't really understand why all of these people were suddenly at peace with what was happening. Uh, I didn't quite understand the cheeseburger thing, or at least I'm not sure if I did. <laughs> so uh, the ending kind of pulled it down a little bit for me. So I would settle on a six out of 10. Uh, fun movie, but it's not necessarily something that I'm going to jump at the chance to watch right away. I very likely uh, would watch it again, but it's not something that I'm itching to do in the near future. So that's kind of how I feel about it. Good movie. So if you would like to be featured on the podcast in the future, as part of the feedback section, then please reach out to me. There are a number of ways that you can do that. You can email me at disneyshpodcast at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash disneyshpodcast. You can follow the Instagram page, which is disneyshpodcast. And if you would like to, you can also follow my personal Instagram page, which is the lost passenger. If you aren't subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, then uh, please do so, because that way you'll know when a new episode drops. You'll never miss a new episode. And next up on the podcast is Ratatouille. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why I 
uh, you know, mentioned it. And there's also a reason why I'm doing it right after the menu. Both movies are about food and feature a chef and are, uh, in a sense, in a way, about the love of food and the love of preparing it, the love of cooking it. So there are definitely a few similarities. So it's definitely uh, an intentional choice there. But uh, Ratatouille is up next. But until then, this has been Disney reminding you to please not say mouthfeel. Mouthfeel.